Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, the San Antonio Spurs podcast brought to you by Ken's Five, the official station of the Spurs. I am Jackson Floyd, and joining me this week, we have Ken's Five Sports Director, Joe Reinagel. How are you doing this week, Joe? I'm doing great, Jackson. Good to see you and Tom again. Yeah, and of course, Tom Petrini with us as well from Ken's Five Digital. How are you, Tom? I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in there, man. I mean, the same thing could be said for the San Antonio Spurs, who are uh, amid a rough stretch here uh, of the season, of course, on a four-game losing streak. This is the third four-game losing streak of the season, uh, third third streak of four or more losing streaks. They had a five-game losing streak earlier this season. You know, that's the first time the Spurs have done this, a, a three, four-game losing streak like that. Uh, since 1996, 1997, uh, they've been very fortunate to avoid such streaks uh, of course, they haven't had a streak like last year where they lost eight in a row. So also something to be said there, too. Um, something we also saw during this stretch is they've played three of their last five games. have gone to overtime. So a lot of extra basketball at a time when the Spurs could use the rest. Um, in particular, Tom, was there anything that stood out from you in this stretch here of the last week of basketball uh, that, that kind of speaks to the state of the Spurs? I mean, I think the biggest thing it goes back to that Washington game and losing Derek White. Um, <clears throat> We, we look at that Washington game now and the standings the way they are and the schedule the way it is, uh, that could wind up being almost as important as the Pelicans game. Uh, and that was really one of the only remaining take care of business games on the schedule for the Spurs. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, they've got, they've got the Kings. They need to win that game. They've got Portland. They need to win that game. Um, but losing Derek White, um, when you, when you're without, one of your most impactful players, arguably your most versatile two-way player, um, it, it hurts. And we're seeing that in a number of ways hurt the Spurs here. They miss his shooting from deep. They miss his shot creation on ball. They miss his ability to be everywhere defensively doing everything. Um, and that mindset that he has of making the right play whenever it's needed. Um, and Spurs are really missing the shooting um, and it's, it's going to be tough sledding without him. Um, that's why I think that, you know, criticism of this team and, you know, bold proclamations about what they are, or especially about what they are not, uh, after this season, I think are kind of silly and misguided because you're looking at a team that has dealt with coronavirus, uh, worse than all, but six teams in this league in terms of games missed, uh, Derek White has missed half of the games. Um, you know, if if we get to the end of the season, he doesn't play any more regular season games, so he'll play 36, 50% of the games. Uh, and that's, I mean, after his bubble, we're, we're seeing now just how much they, they really need him out there. Um, and it's, it's going to be tough. Absolutely. It's going to be tough. Uh, and of course, over this four game stretch, they, they, they've found different ways to try to overcome the Derek White uh, absence. Of course, he was the biggest three point shooter on the team uh, before his absence. He uh, was taking, uh, I think, seven a game. Um, so finding those extra shots uh, ha- has been an issue uh, for the Spurs, who already was taking a, a uh, I think, 22nd in the league in, in three point attempts. Um, so got to make up some, some room there. Joe, one of the things they did uh, was they slid Devin Vassell into the starting rotation instead of a guy like Lonnie Walker. What does that move mean for, for a guy like Vassell? And, and what does moving Walker, keeping Walker on the bench meant for him over these last four games? 
Well, you know, I'll, I'll look at it from Pop's perspective uh, on that whole thing. Lonnie Walker, when he hits the floor, he brings energy. I mean, he really does. He brings energy and he brings, yeah, I don't want to say experience, but it, but it is kind of that experience that he has over a Devin Vassell coming off the bench. So you put Vassell in that starting lineup, he's got some other guys to lean on. Uh, Lonnie can kind of come in off of that second team and maybe, you know, all but lead the way, if, if you will. And, and again, the energy that he brings, the shot that he brings, he's playing some pretty solid defense as well. And so I think it was really a, a thing that Pop looked at and said, I've got to have that energy off the bench. It's funny, um, you know, everybody said, well, he's in that Monte Ginobili role. And, and I guess in a way he is, although Pop denied that the other day when he was asked about it, that he had never said that. And I don't think he ever did. But you have to look at it that way. Um, and, and that's kind of where Pop is going with that. So I think it makes perfect sense to me. And I think it's going to be good for Devin Vassell, obviously, getting the, the experience that he's getting. And we've talked about this a lot. I mean, these young guys, and I think Tom hit the nail on the head. It's, it's really hard to judge this team and to figure out what they are this year or what they're going to become. But what I do know is the experience that these young guys are getting, a guy like Vassell, this is going to be invaluable to him uh, starting the season next year, especially if they get a full training camp and and all the stuff that they didn't get this year. I mean, it's going to be fantastic for him. And whether Lonnie Walker stays as a six-man off the bench or whether he eventually moves into the starting lineup, I mean, the experience that he's getting is invaluable. Keldon Johnson's another guy, the, the experience that he's gotten. So I think we, we can look back at the season when it's all said and done, regardless of where the Spurs finish, how far they go in the playoffs, and say, you know what, all in all, it was a very difficult season, but I think we're going to look back and say it was a successful season just in that, getting these guys the experience in the playing time that they need. Absolutely. I mean, the experience is all what this is all about, and getting in tough games, and I think yeah. Popovich kind of spoke to that as well. As, as far as the, the Manu role thing, Pop definitely said, like, you know, when, when they asked him, hey, are you going to put Lonnie in the starting lineup or what are you going to do there? He was like, no, we're going to put Devin in there and we're going to keep Lonnie. Like, he, he actually gave a really, you know, transparent explanation of why he was doing it. And he said, you know, we want Lonnie bringing that, that pop off the bench, that energy off the bench like Manu did for us. And, you know, so if, if, you're, if you're saying, yeah, he's going to play the six-man role, you know, and, and bringing up Manu Ginobili, it's, it's not like, you know, it's not like that's just fans and media who, who've said that. Pop said that himself. So, uh, and then, you know, afterward, when he was asked about it, he was like, I don't think I said that, uh, which, you know, but. He doesn't watch tape. He, right. True. Obviously, he's not Manu Ginobili, right? But, um, you know, I think in terms of development for what these players are going to be moving forward these are the best roles for both Devin Vassell and Lonnie Walker, right? Because Devin Vassell right now, three and D floor spacer, a, a much above what you would expect out of a rookie. He's, he's really adept at shooting the three and, um, you know, defending multiple positions, being that, that wrench in the machine. Um, he can be very disruptive and he doesn't need the ball, right? He's shown some promising shot creation, um, you know, when he attacks off the catch, gets a dribble in, hits that mid-range jumper, a little spin around, like he's, he's got some game. And, you know, this, this was another reason I was, I was high on him in the draft process. He's not just a shooter, right? He's a, he's a vertical threat. He can get up and dunk it. So uh, he, he has a lot of those finisher qualities on offense and with guys like DeJounte Murray and DeMar DeRozan, you know, we, we kind of saw Lonnie Walker – 
not really being used the way I would use him, you know, more as like a floor spacer. And Lonnie is a guy who the more engaged he is, the better he plays. And so theoretically in a bench role, he would be the primary, you know, shot creator. Um, And we're seeing that some nights, but we're also seeing some nights where, you know, he winds up a little lower on the, the food chain behind guys like Rudy Gay and, and Patty Mills. And as a six man, he's playing a lot of minutes with the starters, right? So there's, there's still that element where it's like, you know, you, you think there could be something really special with him, um, but there's inconsistency. And it's been inconsistent with this, this whole Spurs team the whole year, right? Uh, but one thing that has been consistent is in games where DeMar DeRozan is out for one reason or another, and they lean on Lonnie Walker either starting or off the bench, he takes that mantle up. In the, in the Sixers game, he was showing shot creation with the ball, without the ball, half-court transition from every area of the floor. He was doing everything. He was hitting threes. He was dunking on Danny Green. He was, you know, getting that jelly roll in transition. He was running pick and roll and getting to, like, you know, the mid-range. Um that's that's a really dangerous playmaker, and he has that three-point shot off the dribble that not a lot of guys on this Spurs team have, um, and you know most notably Demar Derozan, right? You're not you're not expecting him to come off a screen, hang dribble at the top of the key, top of the arc, and then just chuck it. Lonnie can do that, and you know it it yeah. seems like every game is a coin flip on whether he realizes that or not. Um, so. Having him, if he can genuinely play that primary playmaker off the bench role, uh, you know, that's that's something for the Spurs to explore. You know, maybe if DeMar DeRozan moves on next year, you have to have Lonnie Walker in the starting lineup for that shot creation, right? Um, but either either way, yeah. you want to see him getting those on-ball reps. And we, we know that he can be dangerous off the catch, right? But we also know that the more he's involved in the game itself, better he plays. You know, I think it comes down – I think it comes – you make some great points, but I think it comes down to, to a confidence thing too and a respect thing. You know, I think when Lonnie Walker's on the floor with DeMar DeRozan or Rudy Gay or Patty Mills, I mean, I think it's – you know, what do I do? Do I take over the game or, or do I defer to these guys who have been in the league and are veterans? And I think that just takes experience, and I think that's the problem with all these guys. And I think – I really believe the other reason Pop made this decision is because Lonnie just has right now at this point in time a lot more confidence than Devin Vassell. You know, I'll see Devin out there, and you're, everything you said about him is exactly right, but there will be times where he seems to be walking around uh, just kind of, you know, where do I go and what do I do? Not very often, and he's getting there, but I think at this point in time that's where he's at. But I, I really believe it's a, it's a confidence thing and a respect thing when it comes to these young guys. Yeah, That's a and- good, good point. Like, uh, I'll let you get in here, Jackson, in a sec, but, like, you know, we, we hear about – he needs to be more aggressive. He's being too passive. And a lot of times it's just, you know, knowing the personnel that, that are out there and knowing that knowing what's considered a good shot for this team. And on nights when they don't have options A, B, and C, and, and Lonnie's like, we got, we got to make something out of nothing here. We saw that not just from Lonnie, but from Keldon, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Keldon got some primary playmaking opportunities in that Sixers game. There was one possession where, you know, he, he took a screen 
off the dribble shot a three like Patty Mills. Like Patty Mills is the only person on this team that runs that play for that shot. Um, And, you know, Keldon typically a reluctant three point shooter. Right. Yeah. But when, when they don't have that one guy who it's like, all right, we give the ball to DeMar DeRozan. We see if, you know, they leave him on the Island or if he passes it to one of us and that's it. When, when everybody, everybody has to be engaged in that, you know, thinking and creating process. It's a, it's a different team. And I want to keep diving into the 76ers game in particular, because I think what we saw was, uh, you know, we saw a tale of two comebacks, right? Uh, and, and back-to-back nights there between the Celtics and the 76ers. Before we do that, though, uh, for everything we just said, that's um, of Lonnie Walker accepting this role and, and getting in comfortable with the role and, and finding his confidence in it. I think Vassell needs to do the same with the starting lineup. You know, it, it's all about continuing to, 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 to figure out what you can do in that position. Uh, one of the things that I was hoping to see from him when he entered that starting lineup was, was be the main guy to pick up the slack when it came to the three-point shooting on this team and his attempts are up you know he was shooting three uh, attempts a game he's up to five uh, he was shooting uh yeah two attempts a game he's up to three now it'd be great to get him up to five attempts per game but at the same time too he's going through a very cold stretch over this four stri- uh, four game stretch he's shooting 23 percent from behind the arc uh to get out of that stretch you just got to keep shooting though and tom that's what you said on twitter when i when i posted that too just keep shooting uh and that's something that the spurs need to do in general you know since white's been out their three-point attempts are down and that happens when your leading three-point guy goes out. Uh, back to that 76ers game, though. Uh, I, I don't know how much you want to dive into the Celtics um, comeback there um, before we get to the 76ers game, but it, it, it was not something you, you enjoy seeing, uh, just a, a horribly blown lead there. And we've seen a lot of that this season from, from teams making big swings, you know, going up 30, coming back, uh, teams losing by 50. Um, I, I think exhaustion just got, got to the Spurs in that game. And that's why you saw so many people rest for that Sixers game. Um, but I thought it was admirable the job that the the guys who did play in that Sixers game did to come back down. Um, what uh, was it, sixteen at halftime, twenty at halftime, something like that? They were down at twenty points at some point in time in that game. Uh, but that was led a lot, I thought, by Lonnie Walker, who led the team in in shooting attempts going into that. And he's been a guy who has been a driving force in comebacks uh, to begin with. Like you're saying, Tom, when he feels the need. To, to, to take the mantle up, he, he does it and, and can drive the team. Uh, Kelvin, I thought, did, did a really good job um, taking it to uh, one of the best big men in, in the league, too. You know, he was not afraid of meeting Joel Embiid in the paint. Um, and then, of course, he guarded him down. on the last possession of, of regulation. I yeah. mean, and like there, there was one play, too. I think it was end of regulation where Lonnie took, took a three, um, missed it, and at the time that he shot it, there were four Sixers closer to the basket than Keldon Johnson. And he found the gap in between them, used a runway, grabbed the board, and then put it up with Joel Embiid trying his hardest to, to block it. And then, he, and then he walks off, you know, screaming his head off. And, and that's the kind of thing where, like, he was, he was making impact plays off the ball in that game. Uh, and, and that was really, really, really cool to see, uh, just his, his fire in that game on the Celtics. I'll just say Jason Tatum. Good. He, I mean, (laughs) the shot making in that game was spectacular. And I mean, the the Spurs defense, it it was really great in the, in the first half. I mean, not, not just, it wasn't just the Celtics missing shots. Right. Uh, And then in the, in the second half, they had a couple more guys start hitting shots. Neesmith came in, made a difference. Um, but like you, you looked at some of the shots in that game on both sides, and it was good defense and just 
these guys are superstars, right? Yeah. Like we, we saw Tatum put up 60. That happens. After Lonnie Walker commanded the respect to the defense in that Sixers game, Doc Rivers threw Ben Simmons on him. And, and he didn't get as many shots up. And I saw, I saw some, you know, people on Twitter saying, oh, well, Lonnie Walker didn't look so great with Ben Simmons on him. Like, <laughs> like yeah, all right. And the sun's going to, you know, rise in the east. Like, yeah, he's, he's a defensive player of the year candidate. I don't care. And, and like, you know, oh, he, he looked good against the bench, but against the – it's the Matisse Tybal. Like <laughs> – like he's really good, uh, and and who is going to who is Lonnie Walker going to play against more? Who's going to guard Lonnie Walker more? Right? Is it going to be somebody closer to a very good bench player for the Sixers or Ben Simmons? It's not Ben Simmons. Yeah. Uh, I, going back to the Tatum performance too, Joe. It felt like the Spurs did the thing they do with superstars, right? They focus in on the other guys. They, they know Tatum's going to get his shots off, but they focus on their guys and it, and it seemed to work well. And then of course, Tatum has a career night. Is, is that a correct uh, analysis of what the defense was doing there in that Celtics game? Yeah, I think it was to some, some respects, but then at, as you know, he was going off. I mean, I think the Spurs kind of shifted their focus to try and slow this guy down. And he was just not going to be slowed down. I mean, Jason Tatum made some shots in that game that I was like, wow. How did he do that? How did that go in? What happened there? I mean, the guy was at, at one point in time completely unstoppable. Didn't matter what the defense was doing or how they were doing it. He was going to make the shot. And I think just sometimes, I mean, once in a blue moon, I mean, obviously, you know, 60 points is 60 points. It only happened with, with what? Larry Bird for the Boston Celtics before. So it's not going to happen that often. Sometimes it's just one of those magical nights for guys. And, you know, it happens and you just got to sit back and say, Wow, the guy's just—he just had a great performance, and yeah, you, know, you got to take your hat off to him. And and I think that's what happened in that ball game. That was just an incredible performance. Yeah, yeah. So in the in the Sixers game, uh, they they of course force it to overtime. They go to overtime um, to get to that point. It really felt like it was Lonnie. It was Keldon. Of course, uh, Tom, like you were saying, they they switched things up, right? Ben Simmons switches on to Lonnie. Um, Keldon, uh, he. <laughs> He, he was aggressive. Uh, sometimes he might have been too aggressive uh, coming down to the wire there. In the in the overtime, though, it, it felt like things changed, right? It wasn't those two guys kind of taking the shots, creating the action. Uh, that fell into Rudy Gay in overtime. Um, and uh, I know that con- you know Rudy Gay is a guy who's a little controversial on Spurs Twitter uh, as to why he gets playing time and things like that. Um, but you know, for all intents and purposes, on that last play, it, it again came down to Rudy Gay on the defensive side. Um, he makes a decision. Yeah to help on Joel Embiid, uh, an MVP contender, Joel Embiid, who at will could have probably won that game if he wanted to drive uh, in, a, in a single team situation there. So no, no question as to why there may have been a help switch there, but the communication wasn't there between between the team. Ben Simmons gets uh, his way into the basket, puts a tip him in to, to, to uh, tip in to win the game there for the 76ers. Uh, do you find Rudy Gay as the guy to, to put fault on for, for, the, for the loss there? I, I think... I know a lot of people think I hate Rudy Gay. I don't. I think he's. <laughs> I think he's a great guy, and I think he's got a lot to offer this team still. Um, he had 18 points in that game. He was a big part of why they were able to get it to overtime in the first place. And I mean, the last three plays of overtime essentially with a with a Sixers miss sprinkled in, or 
actually it was Embiid turning it over on a travel in the post, which you never see. Uh, you never see called anyway. Um, but first Rudy Gay gets a rebound and then turns it over in one of the most, like it was one of the worst turnovers I, I have ever seen. He just threw it behind and underneath Keldon Johnson. And then it almost looked like he looked at Keldon like, why weren't you behind where you were running and on the floor? I think it was more just like, I can't believe I did that and shock with himself. The next Spurs offensive possession and that whole overtime, nobody scored. Like literally the only made basket that wasn't free throws by the Sixers was that tip in by Ben Simmons. They did not score a bucket until that happened in overtime. Spurs were pretty much the same way though. Rudy Gay tied the game on like a Dr. J layup. Like it was like a scoop that like, I, I can't, there's a very small percentage of the population, even in the NBA that has the size and skill to pull off what Rudy Gay did in that moment. It was awesome. He tied the game. And then on the other end of the floor, Gorgie Jang is the one guarding Joel Embiid. They didn't have Jakob Pertl in this game. And Drew Eubanks started, and my God, he was <laughs> – I mean, most people are completely overmatched by Joel Embiid. If you find somebody who's not, he should be an NBA center. Um, but, I mean, Jang, Jang did a, a little better job, and he had good positioning on Embiid on that possession. And then, in addition to that, you had both Patty Mills and Lonnie Walker – both there if Embiid decided to turn their way. And when Embiid picks the ball up, I don't know if maybe like from that angle, Rudy couldn't see it, but there's no way that he can provide effective help. And so, you know, the, the thing to me is not that, you know, oh, he, he helped and didn't communicate. It's, it's that he helped in a situation where his help could help nobody and do basically nothing except take himself out of position to box out Ben Simmons and it wasn't a great box out by Keldon on his guy but he was basically in a situation where he was tasked with boxing out two people and that just is not really a, a good position to to put him in so um I I think that Rudy Gay needs to be better in those situations I understand that people are frustrated with pop relying on him so heavily I mean he played 36 minutes in that game obviously shorthanded team but even when they're at full full strength right now, you need him in there for his shooting. He's not yeah. a bad three-point shooter. He's actually been quite good at it he, this year. He's been the best three-point shooter on the Spurs team, and that's why he finds himself into the rotation. You know, And Joe, I, I think we were talking about this a little bit earlier before that we started recording. These veterans still think they've got a lot to offer this team, and Rudy Gay is proving that. Patty Mills you know, started the season great. It's been a little bit of a trail off there, but he's still fighting you know, to, to be competitive in these games. And Popovich spoke to that as well to this uh, this week about why these veterans are finding new playing time as well. Well, I mean, get in the head of a Rudy Gay or or a Patty Mills. I mean, how much more long? How much longer do they have in the NBA? You know, they're not looking at the San Antonio Spurs as a rebuilding project, and we're going to be great next year. They're looking at this year and saying, you know what? If we get in the playoffs, anything can happen. So we're veterans. We want that playoff, uh, you know, feeling again. And and we're not into this whole. 
we'll get better next year and, and we'll carry on. Uh, like a lot of us have been talking about, they want to win and they want to win now. And they believe that if they get in the playoffs, anything can happen. So I think you heard Rudy Gay say that the other day after the uh, first Utah game. It's like, look, I'm going to do whatever I can to help this team win ball games. And I think you're going to see that attitude. And like it or not, moving forward from here on out, however long the Spurs go, you're going to see Rudy Gay imposing his will. You're going to see Patty Mills taking shots and and hopefully making a few. But you're going to see it. And it's just human nature. And they're not going to they're not going to regress and say, well, you know, Lonnie Walker's this or or Keldon Johnson's that. We're going to do what we can because we're veterans of the NBA and we're going to help the team win. And we feel like if we do that, then then we've got the best opportunity to move forward. And it's just human nature. Whether it's right or wrong, we can argue that all day long. But these guys think that they are the guys that can help this team win ball games, And they're going to do it moving forward. And I, I think that for Pop, right, like you, it's a contract year for both of them, right? So they, they both want to – earn their next one they both have to earn their next one right um and you know i i don't think that's the only reason that pop is playing them i think it's because pop trusts them but he also like they earned enough trust that he wasn't willing to earlier in the season cut rudy gay's minutes for Luka shamanich who pop said this guy's earning more minutes and like i need to go back and pinpoint the exact moment he said that and how many minutes he's gotten per game after that can't be much more than five um, because, you know, he's, he's playing basically in garbage time or if somebody's hurt. Um, and if earlier in the season pop had made that choice and gotten a little more experience for Lucas Shamanish built a little more trust, then it would have made it a tougher decision at this point in the season. But now it's, it's like, you know, you get a new set of golf clubs, but you, you still like the ones you have. And you know that, if, you know, the ones you have, you know, the, the grips are falling apart. Like, you're not going to be able to use them forever, right? But while you got them, you're, you're going to use them because that's, that's what you're used to. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a, a vets or a young guys thing, as we've discussed on the show before, as evidenced by the Drew Eubanks, Gorgie Jang thing recently. Um, you know, it's about experience with the team in the system. Um, and, you know, Rudy Gay has, has earned that right to be out there on the floor in big situations. Um, but I, I think at this point in the season, I mean, Patty Mills shooting regression has been really rough uh, pretty much the entire month of April going into May here. He's been struggling. Um, and while while both he and Rudy Gay still make, you know, some pretty rookie mistakes in terms of defensive positioning and things like that where you just kind of shake your head, Rudy has the body to be impactful on the defensive end of the floor and and Patty does not. Um and that's always been the case. Uh but if you've got one guy who's hitting three-pointers and has that ability and another guy who is not hitting shots and is is not showing that ability on defense and the the anchor to that defense is drew eubanks who a lot of times is no man's land on pick and roll doesn't provide as helpful help as certainly Jakob pertle but like you know he's still learning the game right and that's something pop says all the time about all these young guys he's still learning the game and it wouldn't surprise me if gorgie jang's nba career began 
when Drew Eubanks was like, you know, a teenager focused on baseball. Like, I, I think that's pro- like, he might've not even been a teenager yet. I don't know. <laughs> um, but as, as much as we love the energy that Drew Eubanks plays with and, you know, the intensity that he brings, the way he fires his guys up. I mean, he, he puts guys on posters. He goes up for blocks. Like he, he plays his role really, really hard, but he's also got very clear limitations. Right. Sure. Um, and so, you know, I, I think moving forward, especially in a game against an opponent like Utah, right, where you've got a rim protector like Rudy Gobert, there was a clip that went viral. I don't know if you guys saw it, uh, but it was, you know, him basically like standing under the rim as a Spurs transition break came down and DeMar was like, ah, I don't want to, you take it. And then, you know, whoever got it next was like, oh, I'm not going to shoot that and pass it out of the paint. And then, you know, Gobert, like if anybody was counting to three seconds, they would have gotten to seven because like after he staved off that initial transition break, he just stood in the lane and like clapped and talked his crap. Like, you know, you need to be able to pull a guy like him out of the paint. And Jakob Pertl's not going to do it. Drew Banks is not going to do it. Gorgie Jang came in shooting almost 50% from three for the year. He's got an unblockable shot. Um, and, you know, He's, he's got those long arms. He's not, he's bigger than Drew. Um, so I, I think that there are a lot of reasons why we're going to see, or we should see a little bit more of uh, Gorgie Jang coming down here. Well, there's and a if, reason why the Spurs brought in Jang. I mean, he was supposed to be the guy. It was never supposed to be Drew Eubanks. So I don't think it's a surprise if we see that switch and you see Jang, especially the way he played the other night, I mean, you know, take over – that role. That's what he was designed to do all along. Eubanks played well. He had a stretch there where he was really playing some pretty good basketball. But you're right. You get, you know, a Joel Allen Beat or a Rudy Gobert. I mean, they're going to eat Eubanks' lunch, you know, 99% of the time. Um, so, but I mean, it really shouldn't surprise anybody that's watching this podcast that Zhang is the guy that's going to back up Jakob Pertle. That's why they brought him in. Yeah, and I mean, I, credit where credit's due, the Spurs don't make the play-in game this season if not for Drew Eubanks stepping up, right? Mm-hmm. It took right. Gorgie Jang a while. I mean, the whole thing's a team effort, obviously, but you know, he stepped up at a time when the Spurs really needed him. It took Gorgie Jang a while to, to get integrated with the Spurs due to injury. Um, but you know, if there's a positive to take away from these last four games, it's that Jang is finding his fitting. You know, he he was three for four from three, I think, or four for five for three against the 76ers. That shot's starting to fall again. Uh, 17 points in that game for him, and that um, just a good effort for him. You're starting to see the minutes shift, if you will. Um, Drew Eubanks over the last four games has dropped to 14 minutes, while Gorgie Jang has popped up to about 18 minutes a game. So it's a good shift you want to see. And what he does bring is going to help the the Spurs. Uh, in, in the next game against the Jazz, hopefully, and, and in stretches when they need to kind of stretch the, bring that big guy like Rudy Gobert out of the paint. Uh, let's talk about the Jazz because we're in the midst of a back-to-back with the Jazz. Um, I, I would say that uh, what we saw um, Monday w- w- was an ugly game. I think part of it comes down to, to, to exhaustion. You know, they were coming off a back-to-back. They flew out of San Antonio after the Sixers game to, um, to Salt Lake City. You know, that's a, that's a rough stretch of travel to, to get ready to get to, to play a game. Uh, and I think you saw that play out in the first half. Um, I, I'm going to bring up something that I read in the Salt Lake Tribune from their beat writer, Andy Larson, uh, just a, an outstanding anomaly. You don't see in the, the game anymore for all but 20 seconds of the first half, the Spurs didn't score a single layup, a single dunk or a single three. 
Every single one of their points came from the mid-range or the free throw line. Uh, no matter the circumstances, amazing to see in 2021 when fully 70% of the league shots are from the rim or from three-point range. And for the Spurs, for so nearly an entire half, they had none of those. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about how the Spurs zig when the rest of the league zag. Uh, we expected a mid-range game from a team that had DeRozan and Aldridge uh, as their kind of focus points. Um, but uh, you, you still need to kind of, uh, you, you lose the mathematics game when you play a team like the Jazz and you're not taking a three-point shot or making a three-point basket. Uh, do, you see, do, you, do you think that's going to change in the next game? Do you think they're going to come out a little more aggressive or a little more firing from behind the arc? Joe, what do you expect? Well, yeah, I mean, I think they would like to do that, but you got to knock those things down. And, and I want you got to look at this too. I mean, the Spurs could very well be in a back-to-back situation with the NBA champions. I mean, this yeah. team is good. They're really good. They hit the three-point shot. They take a ton of them, and they play great defense. And so, you know, obviously there was a lot of exhaustion in that game. I think that played a big role, and I think it's going to be interesting to see in the game, uh, you know, coming up, how much better the Spurs play against these guys. But, I I mean, let, let's give credit where credit is due. Utah does a lot of things very well. And it's not just the Spurs that they're going to make silly look silly sometimes. It's, it's a lot of teams that they're going to make look silly. And and add that, they're battling for that number one seed. And so, you know, they don't have any reason to let up or to rest guys or do anything else. So the Spurs are going to get their best shot again. And it's going to be interesting to see how they how they step up. But Utah's good, man. They're really good. I, I've seen a lot of Spurs fans compare this Utah team to the beautiful game Spurs. And, you know, obviously – not quite the star power in terms of talent, but in terms of the system and the type of basketball that they play, if you, if you love that, then then you love what the, the Jazz are doing. Um, they, they made a lot of tough shots against the Spurs, uh, but they also created a lot of wide open ones just from continuous motion, people, ball, everything moving, switching sides of the court, forcing the defense to rotate. And the Spurs defense throughout the year just has not been good enough to do that against average teams. Um, and so the, the jazz they're operating on a higher level in terms of their system. Um, and we, we saw it in that, in that game where coming in, it was like, okay, they don't have all-star Donovan Mitchell. They don't have all-star Mike Conley. Uh, Mike Conley's good though. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, you, you see that, I mean, similar to what, what the Spurs had in, in the Sixers game, right? Two, two primary shot creators for this team out. Um, and what you saw was they just ran their stuff over and over again, and it worked. Um, and then defensively, the issue isn't that the Spurs shoot too many mid-range shots. It's that, you know, because ideally, ideally they're not taking threes like, like they don't want to take too many threes because they have a lot of guys who prefer and who are better driving to the rim. They want to, they want to get everything as a layup. I think um, like, like the, the old basketball adage is like you dribble the ball to get a layup. Like that's, that's what you're trying to do with a dribble. And if you can't get that, you figure something else out. Um, when, when you're reluctant to shoot the three, and then you have Rudy Gobert in the paint, you need to get everything from mid-range. And the Spurs have, I mean, DeMar DeRozan, 
DeJounte Murray both very, very capable in isolation sets and in pick and rolls, getting to that soft underbelly and shooting and hitting from there. Um, but it's it's not a way to build an offense if you're just doing that, right? Like the thing that makes DeRozan's pull-up so dangerous is that he's so dangerous getting to the rim. And, you know, if he can stop on that drive at any time and pull up, that makes it, you know, a, a question for the defender, right? But if the defender knows he's not going back there, he doesn't want to go back there, then it makes guarding him a little easier, right? So I, I think we're definitely going to see Pop get into his guys here about we need to shoot more threes. You know, if, 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 you, if you have that, you got to shoot it. Um, and we're, we're seeing a little more willingness from DeJounte Murray, I think. DeMar DeRozan is not going to be a high-volume guy, but, like, you know, if he, if he catches open at the arc sometimes, he'll let it fly, uh, even if he's not that open sometimes. Um, there's, there's small willingness there from those guys. Derek White, obviously, missing him, he's huge. Um, we need to see more of it from Keldon. We need to see more of it from Rudy Gay and Devin Vassell and Gorgie Jang. And Patty needs to, you know, hit some of these shots. Um, but I, I think in terms of, like, what the Spurs are running, like, they, they – it's, it's two different teams, right? It's the team that moves the ball and, and circulates and everything's breathing, and then it's, you know, when it sticks. And, you know, I, I think that's part of why this team has not been able to get consistency, really, in, a, in any respect this year. Yeah. Uh, it, it struck me as odd to, to see the Spurs so fearless at attacking Joel Embiid against the 76ers and then to come out and kind of not want to get into the paint versus Rudy Gobert. And I get that, you know, Although Embiid is a great defender, Rudy Gobert is probably the best interior defender in the league. It's him or Jakob Pertl. Uh, so when you're going up against that, it kind of changes things a little bit. Uh, and, I, I, and think I, about how they generate so many of their threes, right? It's drives to the basket and kickouts, yeah. right? So, you know, in essence, by locking down the rim, they were able to really diminish the opportunities that the Spurs were able to generate there and at the arc. So I expect to see this team a little more aggressive uh, tonight as they go against the Utah Jazz. Joe, is this a must-win game at this point in time in the season? No, it's not. Um, you know, right now the Spurs are in, in pretty good shape, at least to make the play-in tournament, right? They're two games ahead of the Pelicans. They're only a game behind Memphis and Golden State. So, I mean, they're in pretty good position. Yeah, you want to win this thing. You certainly want to snap that four-game skid. Um but calling it a must win, I, I I don't think so. I mean, obviously they can survive if they lose this thing, but they're going to have to find some wins somewhere along the way. I mean, they can't uh, go over the rest of the season. Um, but it's going to be tough, man. I mean, it's really going to be tough to win in Utah against this Jazz team. And again, um, if I'm a betting man, I'm putting my money on the Jazz to to be wearing the crown when it's all said and done. I just think they're that good. And and so th for the Spurs to win this game, they're going to have to come out and and play almost a perfect game in a lot of senses or hope that the jazz just, just, you know, lay an egg, but uh, not a must win game. No. If I was a betting man too, I think I'd also put my money on uh, Quinn Snyder as coach of the year. If not him, it's probably Tom Thibodeau, but yeah, you're talking about a potential champion, potential coach of the year, potential defensive player of the year and Rudy Gobert. It's a tough sledding here for the Spurs. 
Yeah, I I think in terms of must wins, you look at the math, right? And the magic number is five right now after the Warriors just completely choked <laughs> against the Pelicans. Lonzo Ball had a fantastic game after I slandered him on the timeline for his previous <laughs> performance. And the magic number remains at five. That means that Pelicans have six games left. Spurs have eight. Uh, need a combination of five Spurs wins or Pelicans losses to get the Spurs into that play-in game because the Spurs have the tiebreaker after beating the Pelicans in their last meeting, which is, I mean, we're going to, if they, if they wind up getting to the, to the play-in by a slim margin, we're going to point to that game as that was the most must-win, must-winniest game of the season. I look at the Spurs' remaining schedule – I see Sacramento. That's a must win. Cannot lose to a team that's not going to the playoffs if you want to go there. Portland, the next night, kind of a must win. Kind of like kind of need to beat them because you've got Utah tonight, you've got Milwaukee, you've got Brooklyn. The Knicks, who I mean you okay. could argue you could argue that's like, you know, the the softest team left mm-hmm. after Portland. They, it absolutely is. It's still a really good team. And then you finish with Phoenix and then Phoenix. Uh, so even if you beat Sacramento and Portland and the Knicks, uh, you, like, if, if the Pelicans really go on a tear here, you might go into that last two-game set having won three games and still needing to win against Phoenix twice. I don't think the the Pelicans are going to go undefeated for the rest of the year. Their schedule is kind of tough, and they play against teams that also are, are fighting for the same thing, right? Yeah. They, play, they play Philly, they play Charlotte, Memphis, Dallas, Golden State, and the Lakers. That's their six. Um, it, would be, it would be hard for them to win all six games. Um, but they're heating up a little bit. I mean, they won three of their last four. Uh, since losing to the Spurs. Um, so, and that's including a, a, a win over the Clippers, a big one, like 120, 103. Uh, you've, you've got, and Zion, I mean, I saw, I saw something insane about Zion Williamson. Uh, he's getting 97% of his points from the paint or the free throw line. <laughs> that's efficiency. <laughs> and like like remember his debut against the Spurs where he just would not stop hitting threes. Yeah. Like I think I think that's all of the three percent is just that one game. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and we sp- we spoke a little bit about the schedule uh, a couple weeks back, and we talked about maybe there's to be a few few games in the future for the Spurs where teams would take a night off, where it may be when the teams find rest. But with the way that the races are shaping up here, you know, Milwaukee on Monday, they're going to be battling for a number one seed. You know, that's still an open thing they could grab. They're not going to rest Giannis Antetokounmpo in that game. The Nets, again, battling for his positioning there, may not rest their players. The Suns have a chance for the one seed, you know, if, if, if things play out in their sense. So they may, we may see Chris Paul in the last game of the season out there. Uh, so it's not going to be easy sledding for the Spurs there. Of course, well, the guys, and I just want to mention there. the Knicks, you know, and, and, yeah. and we're, we're looking at they may be the hottest team in the league right now. Uh, they're playing really good basketball. And so, I mean, I don't think that's a game that you can take for granted. I mean, you know, the Spurs are going to have a very difficult time with that ballgame, especially on a back-to-back situation. So uh, the schedule, it lines up. The Spurs are going to have to earn it. Uh, nobody's going to give them anything. It's going to be difficult. 
The yeah. Knicks have won 12 out of 13. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're one of the hottest teams in the league right now. I mean, it's incredible. I so mean, there, there's Rose not a team. Like vintage Derrick Rose. Yeah. yeah other, other than maybe the Sacramento Kings who have some players <laughs> and it will be in Sacramento. I mean, yeah. there, there's not an easy game left. There's really not. The Spurs are going to have to earn it uh, if, if they're going to get in. Joe, if you think the Knicks look hot right now, just wait until you see them next year when DeMar DeRozan is their starting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I'm leaning. I think it's going to happen, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little later. We got, we got more basketball to get to before then. Uh, but we're seeing, you know, the Spurs kind of push for a play-in tournament. I, I just want to mention, two of the upcoming games uh, versus Sacramento Friday. That's a 9 p.m. game, and you can catch that one on Kins 5. Uh, and then, of course, that Monday game versus the Bucks, 7.30 on Kins 5 as well, the official station of the Spurs. Um, as we just, we push here to, as, as they make their push for a spot in that play in tournament, we're, we're seeing a lot of conversation again, shape up around the play in tournament, uh, notably another team who has fallen into positioning to find themselves in the tournament who may not have expected to be there. The Los Angeles Lakers, uh, so some, some, some noise coming from their star player, LeBron James, uh, about, um, the play in tournament. He, he used to, he used an expletive. I'm not going to repeat it on the, the show here, but, uh, he's, he's unhappy at whomever came up with the idea of the play-in tournament. Why is it, guys, that criticism for the play-in tournament sudden, seems to come from guys who find themselves in that sixth position, that seventh position, and it affects their playoff potential? Yeah, it's funny. Because we, they're, so, they're so afraid to play the Spurs. That's the only explanation. <laughs> that's it. That's it. I, I saw a tweet that was like, it was the handshake thing. It was like, you know, LeBron James, Mark Cuban, only complaining about the play-in when it looks like you're going to wind up in it, uh, you know, it's, it's a great use of that meme, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just the, the way it is. It's self-preservation, right? Um, and the, the best response that I saw to it was, like, from the league's perspective, like, oh, you mean we might get, like, desperate Steph Curry against pissed-off LeBron in a one-game playoff setting and we're supposed to be upset about that? Uh, the, re- the reason that you would be upset about that is, you know, you, you want to have those guys going, you know, further in the playoffs but like if it can only be one yeah why not let him duke it out i I, I don't know you guys correct me if i'm wrong the adam silver just didn't step up yesterday and say hey guess what we're gonna have a play-in tournament i think he said this at the beginning of the season right i mean so this was something that was planned it wasn't something he just dreamed up one night and said oh boy here we go this will be a lot of fun so i mean i i can't all of these guys complaining about it is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You knew it was coming. If you, you know, and, and LeBron, to his detriment, I guess, I mean, the guy's been hurt. He hasn't been out there, and that's really hurt the Lakers for sure. And who knows what his status is going to be the remainder of the season. But, but I, I don't get these guys. It's, it's, it's something that's been in place from the beginning of the year. You knew it was coming. If you didn't want to be in the play-in tournament, play better during the regular season. I mean, it's just – it's to, to me, it's just – a waste of words from all of these guys. From a pan, from a fan's perspective, uh, it's made the last three weeks of the season that much more exciting, right? You know, this used to be a time where it felt like the league was coasting towards the playoffs. Things were locked into place. Sure, you might have a, a battle at one seating or another. And sure, there may be years like, um, I believe it was, what, 16, 17 or 17, 18 when the Spurs uh, lost to the Pelicans in the final game of the season and went from the second seed to the seventh seed, yep. um, where, where games like that matter. Uh, it's exciting to have exciting basketball to watch every night, a 
across the spectrum. You know, there are 10 teams, 11 teams competing right now uh, at, the, at the hardest level. And that's why we've seen teams like the Knicks make these runs where they win 12 or 13. You know, the Knicks three weeks ago may have had less to play for when they find themselves as an eight seed or things like that. But there's times to push, you know, and now they're pushing for a four seed and they might push even higher than that. Um, and, and, Can you imagine yeah, how miserable this would be for Spurs fans with the Spurs at 31 and 33 right now, a game back of Golden State in eighth and the Grizzlies in ninth, uh, the the conversations about tanking that would be occurring on the timeline, <laughs> it would be a disaster area. Yep. I think across the board, it's probably curbed tanking, right? You might see a team like yeah. the Spurs who, who do that. And tanking is something that a lot of uh, critics of the NBA, a lot of people have been critical about in the NBA is that tanking is so rampant. Um, I saw, uh, I can't remember who it was, uh, uh, one national sports writer uh, saying, you know, if this costs the Lakers and the Celtics a chance at the playoffs, you know, well, the league's going to make changes and do that. But it's made, <laughs> it's made so much more basketball exciting down the stretch here. We have more playoff basketball games ahead of us. So I'm all for more basketball and I'm all for exciting basketball. So uh, I, 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 get, I, I get the argument that like in a non-pandemic year, go back to normal. Mm-hmm. I get that. But but I'm also seeing some some benefits here in that, you know, it curbs tanking a little bit in that there are, you know, instead of 16 teams that are engaged at the end of the year, it's it's 20. Um, and, you know, that's that's good for the sport overall. It's good for the league, I think. Uh, it's not good for the teams that thought they would be in a guaranteed playoff spot and then, you know, through through whatever circumstances get them there, wind up saying, "Hey, wait a minute," you know. But for everybody, I think everybody else is pretty entertained by it. And yeah, uh, that was one of the more epic ratios I've seen of people being like, "Don't care, win more games," um, which is yeah. what it is. Well, and, guys, and up, win yeah. more games. Right, playoffs are are what makes pro sports, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, hockey, whatever. That's what people like. Even non-sports fans will tune into playoff games. Baseball has gone to the extra wild card, to the play-in game, which they have. Uh, the NFL has added more wild card teams. Uh, and, and so it's it's maybe it's time for the NBA to do something like this on a permanent basis where you do have some excitement coming down the stretch. I mean, let's face it. And, and again, Tom touched on this. It's like, as Spurs fans right now we're excited we're watching every game because every game is important to see where they're going to get are they going to get in the play-in game are they going to get the ninth seed maybe they they move up to the eighth seed you know who does what and in a typical year you may not have that and you're just waiting well we got to wait till next year so i think it's a lot of fun i would like to see the nba implement something like this on a permanent basis i think uh i just think it adds to the game and it's the fans that are having fun with it the players obviously have to buy into it, but the fans are loving it. Everybody I've talked to loves it. Absolutely. And whether or not it becomes a, per- a permanent thing for the league isn't going to come down to what Mark Cuban or, I mean, it might come down to more what Mark Cuban says, <laughs> and it does Luka Doncic and LeBron James. It's going to come down to whether or not it was profitable for the NBA, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they made more money on this, because it is a business. And we saw, you know, the WNBA a few years ago make a significant change to their playoff format because viewership was down and viewership has been up. And they went to even further drastic measures than the NBA did. I mean, there are two one and done. There's one, two one and done games before you get to the semifinals. You know, it, it, it just, you know, it, it creates a March Madness type of atmosphere in the WNBA, uh, the way they've done that. Uh, and, and it also just kind of, 
it, it honed down the costs they spent on it. It was a pretty smart move across the board from the executives there to, to change up the playoff format at that time. A viewership is up. If viewership is up and it makes business sense to keep doing it, they're going to keep it permanently. My guess is you'll see viewership up in the earlier rounds as these playing games take place, especially if teams like the Lakers and the Celtics and the Knicks and the Mavericks are involved. These bigger markets are involved. So, yeah. And, and big stars, right? I mean, elephant in the room here, elephant in the league is Zion, right? Like, the, I, it's, it's worse for the Spurs, but it's better for the league that he's competing for a playoff spot and his team is 30 and 36. Yeah. Like, you know, the, there are a lot of star players in this Washington Wizards. I mean, Bradley Beal flat out exposed this Spurs team defensively in ways that like, I mean, when I was watching that tape is when I said, wow, Drew Eubanks is completely overmatching the pick and roll there. Like, like that, that was what made me say it. And I mean, he was torching everybody. There was one play where he went through like four different guys. Um, and oh yeah, they've got Russell Westbrook, who is a tremendous draw. And, Incredible. you know, I would never build a team around him, but I've grown to appreciate watching him play the game of basketball. Yeah. You know, that's, that's character development right here. I used to be a hater and I still am <laughs> to a degree, but I will not let my hating get in the way of my enjoying watching him play basketball, which is fun. And I mean, you, you look at the teams that are in these, in these playing games and it's like, yeah, these are all teams that, that I want to see play. I'm sure a lot of people see the Spurs in 10 and would be like, Oh man, it would be so much more fun to have the Pelicans in there. Uh, yeah. But again, that's something that's going to be interesting for fans of the, the teams and the league you know, for these last couple of weeks. It's, Especially uh, if it comes down to the Spurs in Memphis. I mean, let's face it, that's not exactly screaming, you know, neon lights on Broadway. So, but it will be fun. But, it's fun, but fun John, for us. The the matchup for, in terms of box office stuff for, for the NBA, the matchup of Ja versus Zion in a, you know, loser goes sure. home game versus Ja versus these Spurs, like, you know, we, we know the disrespect, like, like we know why DeMar DeRozan came in the 82nd ranked NBA player. We know why he wasn't an all-star this year. It's because, you know, people are sick of watching the Spurs. Somebody Mm -hmm. said as much. It was uh, (laughs) Jason Concepcion on Twitter invited hell to his doorstep by saying, listen, we had to watch the Spurs for 20 years in the playoffs. You're going to get the plan and like it, you know, (laughs) it's like, why are the Spurs catching strays out here? But you know, that, that's just the way it is. Uh, and, you know, so I'm, I'm sure Spurs fans will have their eagle eyes out for the officiating, which has been not good <laughs> for, for the last couple of weeks that I've seen, uh, like, league-wide. Like, yeah. not just, like, they're jobbing the Spurs. Like, how did they miss that call on either end? Like, there, there have been many of these games, Washington in particular, where I left thinking – both of these teams and fan bases have legitimate gripes with the officiating in this yeah. one. Um, and, you know, so uh, you, you don't want it to come down to something like that, but again, don't care win more games. Like yeah. it doesn't come down to the officiating if the game is close or if, if the game isn't close or if the standings aren't close. Like mm-hmm. if, if you need, if you need to, to rely on them doing their job, you know, well, or, or even getting the benefit of the doubt, like, you haven't done your job well enough as, as a basketball team. So um, we will, we will see these, these last few games and it, it will probably get tighter. 
yeah. if I had to guess, it'll it'll probably get a little tighter. But because the Spurs have that tiebreaker, the the Pelicans have significant work to do. Yep. So, um, you know, it it'll be it'll be wild to watch here. I'm excited. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, you you, you kind of hinted at my final point. The last thing I've got on my little outline here that I haven't touched at, which is which is a sign of an A plus podcast episode. So great job, us. <laughs> um, Man, over the last stretch of games, it'd be great if Jakob Pertl could stay out of early foul trouble. You know, it's been the Achilles heel for this team. When he goes out early, especially now when it falls onto Eubanks or Gorgie Jang to kind of carry the load from that perspective, you know, it's it would really be helpful to keep them in the game longer stretches of time in that first half. Um, so let's just uh, keep an eye on that, and maybe he can uh, do his part by, uh, you know, and, and part of yeah. it comes down to the fact that they're attacking him, you know, that that he's the guy who who's the last stop on the defensive end there uh, in the paint. But uh, yeah, it really makes yeah. a difference. That's something to watch if, out for through the last stretch. If I may on that one, Jax, yeah, I mean, he, he got an early foul trouble against the wizards. Uh, he was, he was kind of getting bullied in that game by Alex Len, Right. And it was like, he was fighting with one hand tied behind his bank because he didn't want to pick up another foul. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his first foul against the Celtics they were up 44 to 19. Second one was a flagrant. And then he picked up another in six seconds. Uh, and that immediately had an impact on the defense. Uh, against the Jazz, he got into foul trouble. Against the Heat, he picked up a foul on his first play of the game and then took a charge and got benched five minutes in. And then when he came back in the second quarter, he picked up his third. He played eight first half minutes. Mm-hmm against the heat and bam out of bio who dunked all over him because he was yeah. playing soft. Cause he didn't want to pick up another foul. Yeah. And like, like pop has talked. He, he said straight up, we would be in trouble without him back there defensively. Like we'd be, we'd be in, in seriously deep trouble. He's the reason they were comfortable moving on from LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, and yeah, especially when the guy replacing him is Drew Eubanks. Hopefully, it's it's Gordy Jang moving forward. <laughs> easy like, now, easy, Tom. Listen, we love Drew Eubanks <laughs> on the show. He hit a skyhook over Joel Embiid. I got out of my seat screaming. We love Drew Alcinder. We love that man. But you know, against Bam Adebayo, you you want you, you need to have your best guy there. Jakob is the starting center on this team for myriad reasons and you know if if he gets into trouble the entire team gets into trouble based on that um yeah, yeah it'd be interesting ahead, to see go. what kind of what kind of adjustments pop makes i mean you know what do you do it, it's tough against a team like utah to play a zone for example but um you know maybe you look at situations like that where you try to keep Jakob out of out of trouble or you know Obviously, I'm not Greg Popovich, and I don't have all the answers. But, I mean, I'm sure there's something that he's looking at because, as you said, he's the guy that needs to be back there. So I think it's up to to Pop and and maybe some of his teammates to try and avoid some of that stuff, if at all possible. So it's going to be interesting to see how they play it down the stretch. Absolutely. All right, that's Joe Reinagel, Kins 5 Sports Director. You can catch him on air on Kins 5, Channel 5, uh, manning the sports desk for you uh, as the Spur finalizes his eight-game stretch in the season. And of course, Tom Petrini has you covered on the digital side for Ken's Five, Ken's5.com. You can follow him on Twitter. That's at Real Tom Petrini. You can find Joe at Joe Ken's Five. Of course, follow the podcast at Big Fun Pod. And you can find me at Jackson Ken's Five. I, I, I only tweet baby photos, though, and baby videos. So if that's your thing. Yeah, you but like, there. I got his baby a dope Spurs jacket. 
and yeah. he tweeted a picture of that. So it's it's relatable. Baby yeah, content. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, power forward one day. We're, we're not using him for clout. That's for sure. All right. Thank you guys for joining us and we'll see you next time. 